Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, folks. This is the Stone and Tile Show, and I am your host, Fred Houston. I am back. I know we skipped last week. I had an inspection up in the Northeast, which I'm glad to be back in Florida where it's uh, nice and warm compared to where it was cold uh, last Wednesday. But anyway, today I want to concentrate on uh, what um, what I call failure analysis, but more, more specifically, the actual inspection process. In other words, what to look for during inspection, uh, especially during a visual inspection. We'll talk about some of the testing equipment or whatever. But before I do that, I do want to give out the full call and phone numbers if you have a question concerning the subject of today or anything related to stone and tile, uh, whether you have a stain issue, uh, installation issue, fabrication issue, whatever, feel free to call in. We don't have to stick to this topic. As a matter of fact, I'm going to uh, answer one email before we get started here. But let me go ahead and give out the telephone numbers. Uh, The call-in number is 323 870 3968. That's 323-870-3968 uh, if you care to call in with a question. Uh, if you don't want to call in, you can send me a quick email at fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com or on my Facebook page. Uh, just go ahead and send me a message on Messenger there and we can answer your question there. All right, before we get into the inspection process, uh, I did get a uh, an email from a, an old friend of mine uh, that that has an issue with a countertop that's turning dark. Uh, It's a granite countertop and it's darkening and he was concerned with, you know, what's going on here? Uh, Is it resin that's you know, becoming dark, which we talked about on the show before, or is it something else? And he sent me photographs. I looked at the photographs and of course, you know, you really can't tell sometimes a lot by photographs, but a couple of things could be going on here. What he discovered is that there was something placed on the countertop. I forget whether it was a mat or a toaster or some kind of an appliance. And when they moved that mat or appliance, they had a light-colored area, and the rest of the countertop was dark. Now, I have seen this before. I've seen this before in several situations. The first situation being where someone is cooking a lot and using a lot of oils on the countertop. Uh, I had a case a number of years ago where a a restaurant owner was using their own home home kitchen as a uh, testing kitchen, if you will, and they used tons and tons of olive oil, and it basically turned the entire countertop dark except where they had things placed, like a a mat, you know, a coaster, you know, an appliance or, or whatever. So it could be that. Uh, the best way to test for that is to just simply do a poultice. Take a poultice with a good degreaser, take a spot, apply the poultice, you know, come back the next day, scrape it up, and see if it did anything. If it did nothing, then chances are it's probably not oil. So that's the first thing I would do. Uh, sometimes what will work is a torch, but you have to be very careful. You don't want to get it too hot, otherwise you'll pop the granite. Maybe take a light torch and see if you can burn that, that, that back to its original color. If that doesn't work, then you want to look at what are they using to clean the stone countertop with. Um, you've probably heard me say and others say that, you know, don't go out and buy the stone cleaners, which I do not recommend. I recommend highly that you buy a stone cleaning product. But you may have heard me or people say use Murphy's oil soap. 
uh, Murphy's Oil Soap. Everyone knows you can buy it at your local grocery store or hardware store. Uh, it's a good cleaner. However, it does contain an, a, an oil surfactant. If you use too much of it over time, what can happen is it can darken a countertop. So I would take a look at that. And this is something that this individual had mentioned and something I've talked about. I think I devoted an entire show to it would be maybe the stone contains a resin and the resin is now darkening. Now, you would think that inside a home you wouldn't get UV light like you do outside. That's true. But you do have UV light. But not only UV light, just age alone can darken a counter, can darken resins. I'm sorry, in a countertop. So it very well could be a, a resin situation. Um, it's dip, more difficult to tell as it was with the oil. But one thing you can do is take a little bit of methylene chloride. Uh, methylene chloride is sold. I know some of you guys can't buy it, like in California. Uh, you'll have to use some other type of solvent, maybe MEK. But anyway, if you you make a poultice with an MEK or a methylene chloride is the one I prefer and let it sit. It will react with the resin. And what it basically will do is melt the resin down. So that's one way to tell. Now, the next question is, can it be fixed? If it's a resin problem, generally it can't be fixed. That's the, the resin that's actually penetrated into the stone. Uh, it's going to be nearly impossible to try to fix that situation. If it's an oil situation, obviously you have to go in and use a poultice on it. I did have, as a matter of fact, that one uh, particular job I was telling you about where the individual was using their granite countertop as a test kitchen, what I suggested is they just simply oil the entire countertop and darken it all, darken it all down. If you think about it, if they don't mind that dark color, that's really a good idea because once the stone is impregnated with all that oil, it's going to be that oily type color, and it's not going to change color again. It's just going to stay the oily. I really don't recommend that in a lot of situations. In that situation, yes, it was something that uh, that, that we had to suggest because they weren't going to not do anything uh, with that countertop as far as, in other words, not using it as a test kitchen. All right, uh, so feel free to call in at any time, email me or send me a message. Let's talk about what I call the inspection and investigation process. And this is, process, and this is something uh, we talk about either in my correspondence class or in the live class that I, that I do every year. And as a matter of fact, before I go on any further, I, I'm thinking about offering another live class here in Florida sometime this, this summer. So if anyone is interested in that, I need to get a head count. I need to get I need to know how many are interested so I can go ahead and schedule it. So if you just go ahead and send me an email at fhouston at gmail.com. Uh, I'll probably be doing another one out in Las Vegas in January of next year as well, but I may try one here in Florida as well, especially for you individuals that uh, – don't get out that far west. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place for failures, but uh, I'm thinking of doing one right here in Florida. Uh, or you can just uh, look at the correspondence class, which uh, does basically the same thing. So let's look at some of the important things when it comes to the inspection itself. You're going to need some equipment, obviously, and I'm going to skip ahead, and we're not going to talk about all that equipment right now because there are a couple of other things that you need. One of the things that I like to do when I get a call, someone, you know, we've, you know, we get a call, they tell you the problem, and you basically say, well, I need to come out, I need to take a look at it. In other words, you're turning it into a inspection, is to send a form, and I call that a pre-inspection form. And I'm going to kind of go over the form right now. And again, we give this out in our manual, in our class. It has all the 
the things you would expect on it. You know, the person's name, the city, the phone number, the location, you know, all that kind of stuff, which, which we know. You want to have a description of the problem. Now, this is for... This is for your client to fill out, not for you to fill out, okay? And when I talk about the description of the problem, that is extremely important because what they see as the problem and then what you see as the problem when you go out to actually do the inspection may be entirely different things. This happens to me all the time. You know, examples I've given in past shows, for example, I have a hollow floor, we had a flood, and now the floor is hollow. Well, they think they have a hollow problem or you know, a floor that's hollow is gonna crack or whatever because of the flood. Well, you know as well as I do from previous from past shows that um that's not the case at all. So you want to make sure that you understand what they think the problem is. And when you go out and you do the inspection and you find something different, then you got to sit down and educate them. Uh, you want to know what you're dealing with. In other words, what, what, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with stone? Uh, what type of stone? Is it granite, marble, limestone? Do they have the name of it? Do they know where they bought it? Uh, is it tile? Is it porcelain? Is it ceramic? And know as much information as you possibly can get. You'll want to know the square footage. Uh, you'll want to know where it's at. Is it a floor? Is it a countertop? Is it in a living room? Is it in a bathroom? Is it interior, exterior? Is it a pool surround? Uh, if it's a commercial job or even a residential job sometimes, you may want to get some of the uh, contractor's information, you know, the installation contractor, the general contractor. Uh, if it's a commercial setting, you might want to maintenance contractor. This is all on the form. Uh, how old is the building? How old is the home? When's the date of the installation? When did you first see the problem? Um, so you also want to get a list of products that they're using, not only installation products, but also maintenance products. What are they currently using to maintain it? Uh, how often do they clean it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you have a bunch of general questions. And, and again, uh, I want to emphasize this is all on the pre-inspection form. You'll have a ton more questions when you actually get out and do the inspection itself, which we'll get to in a minute here. So when did you know this is the first problem? Has the problem stabilized or is it getting worse? Have there been any remedial actions taken? In other words, they try to fix it somehow. Uh, how is it installed? In other words, is it a thin set? Is it a mud set? Is it mechanically anchored? Uh, if it's a countertop, is it set on something? Is it you know, what type of glue did they use? Did they use silicone? Did they use CA glue? All those questions. Uh, what is a substrate? Is it a slab on grade? Is it a wood substrate? Is it a wood floor? What, what's it over? Uh, were there any problems during the installation? You know, a lot of times. Uh, they could say, yeah, you know what, during the installation, it was raining that, that day, really, really bad. We went and installed it anyway. It was outdoors, you know, just things of that nature. How was the stone maintained, which kind of goes back to the products itself. And was there any specifications for the project? In other words, if it's a commercial project, where are the specifications? And, and the reason you want that is you want to be able to compare the specifications to what was done to see if that's go if that fits. Did they did they install it per specification? And that can be extremely important if it turns into a lawsuit. But we'll talk about that in some other show as far as being an expert. So and then you give them a, a section on that re that report to give you as much information as possible. Now. Realistically, you're going to find that either they don't fill this out or if they do fill it out, they fill it out sporadically. They don't really fill out you know, everything they possibly need uh, to fill out there. But it, it's a help, and it also helps for you 
to keep a to, to keep it form with you as well. Now, in the manual, I also have a sample of reports, and again, we're not going to go over those here. We're going to concentrate more on uh, some of the testing and some of the questions. So, the first thing you want to do is what I call the interview, and this is probably as important as anything in the inspection process because here is where you want you want to ask the questions but you want your client to be able to talk as much as they possibly can and you know don't stop them you know you're not a, an attorney you don't want yes or no answers this isn't you know night court <laughs> you want them to talk because a lot of times you can find out you know what the issue is or it may lead you to the actual answer uh, to what's going on so this is some of the questions that uh, I like to ask, you know, um, the, you know, the, the, you know, if it's commercial, what is your position with the company? Uh, what was your role with this project? Uh, what's your knowledge of the site before installation? And again, these questions are going to—you might not ask all these questions for for homeowners, but uh, commercial, obviously, you will. So we'll just assume that as I go through some of these questions. You know, when did you first notice the problem or notice the failure? Uh, what events do you think led up to this failure? I mean, there you might get. Answers like, you know, well, we had a water heater break or, or there was a big rainstorm or it was a hurricane. Uh, did you notice anything unusual during the installation or afterwards? Uh, describe for me how the stone was installed and be specific. And what I mean be specific is, I, you know, and, and this is a question you might want to ask the installer, and I've had uh, solved a lot of what I call mysteries on uh, on projects when, you, you know, walk, you know, to tell the installer, all right. I, yeah, I want to. I, I know you use thinset, but can you walk me through the exact process? You know, what type of thinset did you use? How did you mix it? What did you mix it in? What uh, drill did you use? In other words, you want as many details as possible, and the best way to do that is, hey, can you walk me through? You know exactly what you did. Um, Describe for me how the stone was installed. Obviously, we just talked talk about, are there any records? Are there any notes, uh, memos concerning this project? If it's a construction project, especially if it's a big commercial construction project, there may be emails back and forth. Uh, is there anyone else you may know that knows something about the failure? In other words, you, know, you might be talking to the building manager. Uh, was there a contractor that's aware of this? Is your building maintenance guy aware of this problem? You may want to talk to them. Can you think of anything that could have happened which caused a failure? In other words, was there a flood? Did the air conditioning system break down? Were there any leaks? How was the site cleaned up after construction? A lot of times I've found that what they use uh, right at construction cleanup has caused some of the issues. What chemicals or cleaners were used during the project? What was the weather like during the project, you know, prior to or after the failure? And a lot of times you can actually go back, and I don't do this with every case, but in some cases I've actually gone back and checked weather records. What is your opinion of what caused the failure? In other words, ask them, you know, what do you think caused it? They might lead you into a direction that you never considered. Have there been any reports by others concerning this problem? And you'll get this a lot of times if you're going in there as an expert and you're looking at it, and the other side had an expert in there. You want to see their report and how, you know, they, they evaluated and inspected the process. And can you think of anything else I might need for what caused this failure? So you want to ask lots and lots of questions. And this is something I say the most important tool you can have in your bag is questions because you never, ever know 
what they'll say during during an answer, and it's it's surprising what I found. If you if you read the Slippery Rock Gazette and read my Stone Detective article, you'll see a lot of that uh, that I've, I've had in practice, where you know asking the right questions and just letting the the, the client talk, you can find out all kinds of information. Okay, so you've you know you're there on a site visit you're you've got your pre-inspection form you've asked them all these all these questions now what are you looking for in the site visit well the first thing you want to do is take a look around uh, you don't want to go pulling out all your instruments and all your everything else but you want to take a look around and kind of get a general feel for the for the project so you want to look at things like you know lippage uh is is the lippage you know, within the industry standards. What is the industry standard for lippage? It's a 32nd of an inch. So a good tool for that is a tire depth gauge. Uh, if you take a tire depth gauge, and you guys might know what, go to your local auto zone or whatever, and you can buy a tire depth gauge, a couple of dollars, and you can actually get the exact measurement of the lippage itself. What are the size of the grout joints? Now, why is that important? Well, if you look at the size of the grout joints, and here's where you may need to take a ruler out or tape or something and actually measure the grout joints. So if it's an eighth of an inch or larger, chances are, especially if it's larger than an eighth of an inch, you know you're probably dealing with sanded grout. Um, so, uh, again, uh, that can be an issue if you're dealing with a marble floor that has lots of scratches. Maybe the grout that's causing the problem. Are the joints intact? Are the joints showing any signs of cracking? Where? Are the tiles set straight? You want to pay attention to adjacent surfaces, in other words, for the carpets, the walls, and other materials that are adjacent to it. I had a project just recently where there was a, a, a stone floor butted right up against a wood floor with no transition. In other words, no room for expansion of the wood in there. So when that wood started ex expanding, which it's going to, uh, more so than the stone, it's, it, it's going to push against the stone and possibly either lift the stone or crack the stone, depending on, on how it was installed. You know, what's the overall condition? Is it cracked? Is it dull? Uh, you want to take note of that. Uh, what are the traffic patterns like if you're dealing with a with a floor? Does the floor vibrate or move when you walk on it? I mean, I've been known to actually just jump up and down on the floor and put a glass of water next to you and just jump up and down and see if the, it vibrates, see if you can see, you know, the water produce rings. That's an indication you might have some deflection issues in the floor. Uh, are there any visible patterns? Is it a straight continuous crack? Is it a straight line that might match up with control joints? And we we talked about this in previous shows and with other failures. Are the edges of the tile chip, and especially going to be true with lippage? Uh, what type of installation is it? We we talked about this in a pre-inspection form. Is it mud thin set? Is it a five-point set? Whatever. Uh, note where the expansion joints are, especially if you're dealing with a commercial project. What color is a setting mortar? If you can find that out, uh, is it gray? Is it white? very important because you know uh, if any setters are out there, you don't install a light-colored stone with gray setting mortar. Uh, is the stone spalled or cracked? Uh, any kind of patterns there? Is it discolored? Uh, if you're dealing with ceramic or porcelain tile, is there discoloration going on there? Is the stone still wet? This is where you want to take out a moisture meter and check. Uh, is the installation sound? In other words, you want to do a sounding test. You know, I like using the old golf ball uh, to see if we got dealing with hollow tiles or not. Are there any visual clues of improper maintenance or unusual events? Uh, is there anywhere the subfloor can be examined? You know, can you go in the basement and look at the subfloor? Can you go to a heat register? Can you go to carpet transactions? 
And then at that point, once you've done your visual inspection, you're going to actually do, you know, what we call non-destructive testing and then possibly even destructive testing um, before you can actually come up with a, with a prescription for the problem or what caused the failure uh, or remedy for that failure, as well as it may need, you may need possible uh, laboratory testing as well. So let's look at some of the non-destructive tests uh, that you would you would possibly possibly do. Um, obviously, the first thing you want to do is pull out a moisture meter. And a moisture meter, and I, I've said this many many times in, in previous shows. I say this to my students all the time. A moisture meter for stone is not going to give you a percentage of moisture in that stone or tile or whatever you're dealing with. It's going to give you and very scientifically whether the stone is really wet, whether it's a little wet, or whether it's dry. And it's going to be an instantaneous reading. In other words, you could have a vapor issue uh, with a vapor barrier on a slab on grade that's at the time you take the moisture reading is dry. And then at night when the temperature changes, the moisture comes up and now it's going to be wet. So, you know, it's it's only a general guideline. You're going to have to use you know, either RH, your relative humidity probes, or the uh, vapor emission test, which is your, your dome test, uh, to find out further if, if you determine that that's, that that's needed. So, um, so that's, first, that's the first tool I will, I will take other than a camera. And a camera is very important. You want to take lots of photographs. And let me give you a couple of, couple of quick, uh, I mean, I'm not a professional photographer, but I've probably taken thousands and not tens of thousands of photographs of stone. A couple of little tips here, and that is obviously you want to use a digital camera, which today it's kind of hard to avoid using a digital camera. Uh, you don't want to use a flash, especially when you're dealing with shiny surfaces like stone or polished porcelain, tile, etc. So uh, do not use a, use a flash. Take photographs from different angles not just straight down, but all different angles. Remember, folks, we're dealing with digital photography here, not film, so we can take as many as we want. You can delete them later if, if, you, if, if you don't want. Take close-up pictures. I like using what is called a scale. It's, a, it's basically a six-inch ruler. Uh, I buy mine from, a, from CSI supply companies. Uh, if you go to Google and search CSI supply, you can get them, and they're kind of cool because they have all kinds of graduations on them from inches to centimeters, et cetera. And you, you want to put them in the, in the photograph, especially if you're dealing with a crack, a small, a chip in the stone, because you can get an idea of what the size of that, that, that chip crack or, or whatever. So um, record the frame the frame number. In other words, if your camera allows you, you know, to record that number, because a lot of times, you, I mean, I go on jobs, I take hundreds of pictures, and uh, sometimes I just don't know where that picture was. You know, was that the living room? Especially, it's a close-up. Was it the living room, the bathroom? You know, wherever. Um, you might even want to place numbers in the actual shot itself, which I'm known to do. You know, take a a uh, one of those little stickers, or take a. I, I usually use a Post-it pad and put like number two on there, and you know, stick it on that next to the photograph, number three, and label them that way. At least you have some kind of reference as to where that particular photograph was take was taken. And then obviously record the date that you took those those photographs. Um, you know, lighting can be important. Uh, lighting can also be your friend and your enemy at the same time. So that's why it's important to take 
lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of photographs. So make sure you do that. Okay, as far as non-destructive testing goes, you know, what are some of the things that you can that you can test for? Well, and I, again, I'll I'll say it again. I've mentioned this again on other shows. Um, and you can do a salt analysis test using a, a pin moisture meter and go back and listen to the other shows, and you, I'm not going to go through it here uh, to determine whether you're dealing with salts or not. You can actually test for nitrite salts, and why that's important is because nitrates are found in soil, so if you take a pH, not pH, but a litmus paper that tests for nitrates, and you find nitrates in your efflorescence, then you know you have a vapor barrier problem that the vapor barrier has been punctured at one particular point in time so that's that's really uh, important as well uh, the sounding test I mean I like using a golf ball I mean other people use chains uh, the end of a broom handle a screwdriver a knife blade your knuckles whatever it is uh, to actually do a sounding test to determine whether you're dealing with hollow tiles or not and again hollow tiles are not necessarily an indication of failure I mean you have to look at is the hollowness consistent? Is the hollowness random? Is there a soundproof uh, barrier under this under this floor? You'll see that a lot in condominiums and apartment complexes, you know, where you actually actually have that. Um, you know, and and you know, you can use infrared photography. I use that a lot. I just use that on my inspection up in the northeast that I did last week, uh, where you can find where water is coming from. You can determine whether it's a five spot method or not. And then after you've done all these, you know, non-destructive type type tests, uh, you have to look at: Do I really need to do a destructive test? What does a destructive test consist of? Well, it consists of removing the material, removing removing the tile, if you will. Uh, it can be a core sample where you actually take a core into the material and sometimes down into the setting bed itself, and have that core sample sent out for analysis. Uh, that analysis that I use a lot is called a petrographic analysis, where they can determine things like you know the presence of salts, uh, whether too much water, too little water was used in the concrete itself. So uh, a lot of uh, good information can be gained there. But you know, and quite honestly, I, I always use uh, laboratory testing, and in most cases I don't. There are some rare exceptions where I actually use laboratory testing. So. That's the real short, concise uh, of what a inspection looks like. Um, going in, again, lots and lots of questions. Sometimes my inspections last 10 minutes. Uh, sometimes they can last hours. It just depends on the complexity of the, of the project itself. But all my work is usually done either beforehand by asking questions, asking questions on the telephone, uh, asking questions when I get there, calling installers, uh, doing some research, might be looking at weather data if it's exterior situations, uh, might be calling installers, architects, builders, contractors, or whatever. So, you know, a lot of work goes into that. Now, one little tip, and that is if you're doing this work for being an expert. In other words, you're being called in by an attorney to come in and you're going to generate a re possibly generate a report, testify in a deposition or testify in court. Here's my advice. Do not take notes. And I know that's kind of tough for a lot of you out there that like that like to take notes, but here's the problem with notes. Well, let me say this. If you're going to take notes, make sure they're brief, concise, and to the point, and then you can read your own handwriting. Because when it comes to a deposition, uh, the notes are what we call discoverable. In other words, an attorney can ask you, did you take notes? And you have to present those notes. 
okay? And then they'll question you on every single line, every single doodle that you are doing on those notes. So my notes that I take are my photography. That's where my camera comes into play. I use my, I now use my cell phone because my camera is so good on that. Um, you know, I have an expensive 35 uh, millimeter SLR camera that I used to carry around. I don't carry it around anymore because, for our purposes, for what we're doing, my, you know, a, a good camera on a cell phone is adequate. So uh, that becomes my note. So just, you know, if you're getting into that, I, I think what I'm going to do one of these shows is I'm going to dedicate an entire show to being an expert and what, what it's like to be an expert witness. But uh, for our purposes uh, today, we're not going to discuss, discuss too much of that. So, um, you know, knowing your client, whether you're being hired by an attorney, whether this is going to be a potential lawsuit, uh, another little tip is if it's going to be a potential lawsuit and you have other people there, the client, other attorneys, contractors, whatever, keep your mouth shut. Um, don't, you know, don't say anything. Don't come to any conclusion. You know, you'll have customers and, and attorneys and clients that will sit there and press you for, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? You know, isn't it caused by this? Isn't it caused by that? And my canned answer for that is I have to take everything that I've done today. I have to go back to my office. I have to evaluate it. I have to do a little bit of research, and it will be in my report. Uh, so a lot of times I'll go in and I won't say a word. I might ask, I'll ask questions, obviously, as we pointed out in the beginning here, but I won't necessarily uh, offer an opinion if it's going to be a lawsuit or I've got opposing you know, people there and installers don't like me when I show up and I'm criticizing their job. So I don't really criticize them, uh, at least to their face while I'm there. I try to get as much information out of them as I possibly can. All right, I'm going to give the phone number out here one more time, and that's 323-870-3968. If you have a question, uh, you can message me on my Facebook page. You can send me an email if you like at fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. Um, you don't have to send me an email now unless you want your answer right now, but uh, you can go ahead and send me an email. Uh, and I'll answer it during next week's uh, next week's uh, uh, show itself. So I'm also looking for suggestions for show. If anybody out there knows anybody that wants to be interviewed, that's in the stone and tile industry, be more than happy to do that. Uh, we're going to have updates on the issue with uh, sealers and showers and, and wet areas. As a matter of fact, I just wrote an article on that particular subject, and uh, uh, we've got part of that published on a, a couple of web pages. Uh, and actually it's going to be uh, a portion of it will be in the uh, Stone Detective in the April issue of the Slippery Rock Gazette. So if you don't get the Slippery Rock Gazette, um, you can go to slipperyrockgazette.net and look at it there every month or uh, just go to that website and call them, send them a, uh, a subscription request, and you can get that, that particular uh, document. or it's, a, it's like a newspaper for, for free every month, and it's great. It's got a lot of useful information, not only what I do in there, but what others write in there as well. My buddy Bob Mural also writes a, an article for there and uh, several others, so some great great information. And you know, Some of the publications out there that, that used to be really technically oriented are getting more and more towards the design architectural phase. So, you know, us technicians that are out there that are in the, you know, fabricators, restoration guys, installer guys aren't seeing a lot of, you know, technical articles out there. And it's it's really, really needed. Hopefully I'm filling that gap here 
uh, in, in this show. So if we don't have any questions, I think I'll wrap things up for this week. We will see everybody next Wednesday. Uh, we'll come up with a topic for next Wednesday. Uh, in the meantime, again, feel free to uh, send me an email at fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Make sure you hop on my Facebook page. Uh, look up Stone Forensics every Friday. We have a uh, failure Friday on there, so uh, you can take a look at some of the interesting failures that we put on there. Some of them are kind of really unique. You only see once in a lifetime, so uh, you know definitely jump on there. And It's an invite-only type thing, so you'll have to send me an email or go on to that uh, stone inspection area, stone and tile inspection area, and just uh, click to be invited, and I'll, I'll invite you so you can see that on a regular basis. We just want to try to avoid you know, having just everybody go on there that really doesn't need to be on there specifically. That's specifically for uh, the industry itself. Uh, if you're interested in the seminars uh, coming up, again, my website, stoneforensics.com. Uh, all kinds of information there, especially on the troubleshooting seminar that we hopefully will be coming up here in uh, sometime this summer in Florida, another one in January. Uh, or, again, we also have the correspondence course, which I, I highly recommend that uh, that if you can't attend a live seminar, to go ahead and do it. So until next week, this is uh, Fred Houston. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll see everybody next week.